0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me, if you would, in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, although we've been going back and forth between John 20 and Luke 24. Our material today in the... uh, uh point six of our outline will take us to Luke 24. I've already explained things to the people that are here in person, so if you're listening on MP3, we're not entirely certain this entire hour will take place. So we're just praying and asking for the Lord to bless our time together. Just took a couple of Excedrin. We're hoping that this migraine does not come, the one that appears to be on the way. If it comes, then I'll have to stop and go sit in a dark room somewhere. But um, Anyway, if the Lord provides, then we'll have a class. How about that? If we don't have a class, then we won't. And then I expect an MP3 file won't even get posted on the website. So I'm not really talking to anybody at the moment. <laughs> Weird how that works, doesn't it? All right, Luke 24. He shows up in their midst in verse 36. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. Two descriptions in verse 37. uh, Startled and frightened. Then two more descriptions that come in verse 38. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? And so you have the two descriptions in 37, the two descriptions in 38, and I think you put all four of those together and you have a pretty good uh, idea of the problem here that these disciples were going through. Despite what they have been told, despite all the testimonies that Jesus has risen, they will not allow themselves to believe it. They will not allow themselves to believe it. So startle is one thing. I don't blame anybody for being startled. Anybody can be startled. We're, We're... uh, we're not, we don't have foreknowledge, we don't know what's coming, and if something comes that we're not anticipating, then we're all going to be startled. That's human. Frightened, all right? You go from startled to frightened, now you start to have issues. But then, troubled, and doubts arising in your hearts, now it's just gone too far. You, you should have put a stop to it long before now, okay? I understand being startled, okay, frightened, but... Put some thought into it. Put some prayer into it. Evaluate what you're seeing. Evaluate what you've been told. Evaluate what the promises are. Why do doubts arise in your heart? That takes time. That's a process. Uh, that's uh, those doubts uh, uh, fermented a bit until they finally percolated and came up, and you embraced the, the doubts. That's wrong. You got to stop it before it reaches that point. And so this is really it's a big part of what we're talking about today as we move down to verse 41 while they still could not believe it, while they still would not believe it. Okay? Difference between could and would. We talk about, you know, can he, woody, right? Could or would. It's not an inability. It's not that they cannot. It's that they do not. They do not believe it. So while they still did not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And, continues to demonstrate his existence there in their midst. All right, so this is where we're going to pick up our study. Before we do, let's take a moment for silent prayer. Let's take two moments. We'll pray extra hard and ask the Father to bless our time together today. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, for the privilege and blessing that we have to assemble together this morning. We ask for your hand of faithfulness upon our time together. Also, Father, uh, for traveling mercies, just got a call. Uh, One of our pastors that's flying in is about to uh, depart uh, from Florida. Just thank you for that. Pray for traveling mercies, uh, safety for all the folks that are coming in uh, and going to spend the next few days with us. We just thank you for all your faithfulness in uh, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we wrapped up. We were looking at flesh and bones last week, which was point four in the outline, and then the expansion of peace be with you under point five, the expansion there. So I don't have the slide number. Let's see. There's flesh and bones under point four. Quite a bit different from the uh, uh description flesh and blood. I believe flesh and blood is a description of mortality. Flesh and blood is uh, something that cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the mortal inherit the uh, or does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Flesh and blood is not qualified for glory. So Jesus' resurrection body is not a flesh and blood body. He describes it as a flesh and bone body, and uh, the distinctions to be found there. Under point five: The expansion of peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And uh, it's interesting how um, <laughs> they're not doing well here and responding to his peace be with you message. Uh, but he's got more to say. It's more than just peace be with you. It's more than just hello, right? There's actually a mission he has. He's preparing them to depart and uh, and begin. As the Father sent me, so send I you and uh, we looked at that a week ago under point five this was his high priestly prayer Uh, this is what he was wrestling with uh, before uh, uh, or the night in which he was betrayed and uh, now he's voicing it to the apostles he's revealing to them in in uh, teaching what it was that he was praying to the father about uh, just uh, three days ago the body of Christ goes forth in the bequest of Christ's peace. We go as he went, uh, but we go with a victorious risen Savior seated at God the Father's right hand. That is just a, a massive benefit. It's a huge benefit that we have available to us. As the Father sent me and more, all right cuz Jesus didn't go in his first advent he didn't have a uh, a risen incarnate head seated at the father's right hand to be his advocate to be his intercessor to be his uh to be his head all right In other words, he didn't have himself seated at the Father's right hand while he was walking this earth. But now he is seated at the Father's right hand. And we have advantage of that while we walk this earth. We have a victorious, risen Savior seated at God the Father's right hand. We have the eternal propitiation. And uh, what a blessing. What a blessing. All right. Which brings us now to point six. The disciples remained faith-impaired, The disciples remained faith-impaired. What is it that impairs your faith? The disciples remained faith-impaired by virtue of joy and amazement. And this is the plain language of Luke 24, 41. The disciples remained faith-impaired by virtue of joy and amazement. You say, well, what's wrong with joy? Joy shouldn't be a problem. Okay? No, joy is not a problem. But it can become a problem. Okay? Okay? And if you don't believe me, I'll illustrate a little bit. we'll talk about it, we'll look at the scriptures, and we'll see what happens as the joy and amazement combine and hinder the uh volitional application of faith. The disciples are made faith impaired by virtue of joy and amazement. Not believing is a choice. Not believing is a choice, and we're going to spell this out for you here in the subpoints. We've got a, uh, an A, B, C, and D that we have to look at here in the subpoints. Now, as we look at it, not only do we have it in verse 41, but it's going to continue with respect to um, the lack of faith on the part of uh, uh, Thomas, doubting Thomas, we call him. How about disbelieving Thomas? How about uh, volitionally choosing not to believe Thomas? Because it's not an issue of inability. It's not an issue of, well, he's just weak. He's making this choice. And, and that, I think, is, is also uh, uh, indisputable as far as that goes. All right. Um, vocabulary. And then we'll start looking at some of these other passages. What we have here is the verb apisteo. Apisteo. You have the alpha privative that negates what follows with the verb pisteo. Uh, A-P-I-S-T-E-O's so number five, uh, I'm sorry, yes, number five sixty nine in the strongest concordance. Lost visual focus there for a moment. Used seven times in the Greek New Testament. A pisteo. You've got the alpha in front, of the, in front of the verb. Okay, just like in English, when you put un in front of it, you just negated what follows. It's either clear or unclear, friendly or unfriendly. Right? Un in English negates whatever follows. So, same thing with in, in Greek, the alpha. Uh, The alpha in front, very commonly, it's called the alpha privative, it negates what follows. And the verb pisteo, the verb pistuo, the noun pistos, the noun pistis, these are uh, terms for faith, for believing, very common terms that relate to what we do when we exercise faith. You and I are expected to pistuo. You and I are expected to pisteo, okay? We walk by faith, not by sight. It's commanded of us. Uh, Jesus says do not be unbelieving but believe. That's our imperative as as believers. Now, this a-pisteo is the opposite of that. It is the act of disbelieving. The act of disbelieving. And I hope to relate the way, and and I think it will become clear as we look at these seven uses, as we look at the other terms that are employed, because we've got uh, got a noun uh, following these verbs, we've got um, a compound, we've got an adjective. There's a lot of uh, expressions here that we're going to look at. Um, and each, each one we see, uh, hopefully we're going to uh, come to the conclusion, and you'll agree with my conclusion, that this is a volitional choice. These are people who are choosing to disbelieve, choosing to reject what it is that the Lord would otherwise persuade them of. Okay? And this, is, uh, this makes it very active, this is not just a, a passive thing. This is not just a, 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 a failure to believe. Okay? Um, a failure to... Uh, it's active, not passive, is what I'm trying to get across. Okay? I, I think too often we, we just dismiss it as a passive thing, saying, well, they haven't believed yet, or they will believe. No, you've rejected. In the case of an unbeliever that rejects the gospel message, it is an active disbelief, and God holds them accountable. Okay? It's not just, well, they're too young, or well, they need to hear it some more, or well, they're still thinking about it. Okay, No. The gospel has been presented, and the persuasion has been applied to the soul, the convicting of the Holy Spirit, the persuasion has been at work. And those unbelievers have disbelieved. They have made the volitional choice to reject that which um, the Spirit was convicting them of, that which they were being persuaded of. All right, and hopefully we'll see uh, we'll see this as well. Uh, let's look at some of these, starting in Mark, Mark sixteen, eleven, and sixteen. Mark sixteen, and of course, what do we say every time we turn to Mark sixteen? We say we're looking at some questionable verses at this point because of the the uh, text issues related to the ending of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, but nevertheless. Um, even if they're not uh, original to Mark's uh, autographs, to the original gospel, if they were added by a later scribe, they still serve to illustrate how this verb gets used. They still serve as valid examples for the verb uh, in the early centuries of the church, if uh, if not Mark himself. And so uh, here's the appearance of Christ. After he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, notice now, they refused to believe it. They refused to believe it. That's our verb, Okay. And so even if this is not original to Mark and doesn't belong in the canon of Scripture, it still is a translation of the verb apisteo, And it still is a valid understanding of what it means, Apisteo refuse to believe it. And so it's an illustration of what we have in Luke 24. It is a volitional choice. They did not believe, did not believe. All right, after that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. And they went away and reported to the others, but they did not believe them either. There it is in verse 13. Down to verse 16. Uh, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Again, there's manuscript questions and there's problematic aspects of believe and be baptized that we can preach on, maybe on a different day when I'm feeling better. Uh, but nevertheless, here's a good use Here's a good use of both believe and disbelieve in the same verse. Right? The very same verse. He who has believed, he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. All right. Uh, So that's Mark 16 verses 11 and 16. In Luke 24, where we are this morning, uh, verse 11, and then also verse 41. Verse 11 in verse 41, 41 is the one we read a moment ago, but earlier than that, in verse 11, uh, these words appeared to them as nonsense. Uh, this is when uh, the women then returned from the tombs. And uh, the women were terrified, bowed their faces to the ground. Um, all right. So in verse 9, returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense. And they, apisteo, they would not believe. Now would you translate it there, could not believe in that context? No, it's not that they couldn't believe. It's just that the words appeared to them as nonsense. It's just that they listened to everything the women were saying and rejected it, just decided subjectively saying, you know what, I'm not persuaded by that. I'm not persuaded by that, okay? And that is a subjective choice that listeners make. And if they're honest about it, they're going to say, why? You know, why? Well, I hear what you're saying, but I think you're a liar, okay? Well, I hear what you're saying and I understand what you're saying, but uh, I just don't think that's reliable. Okay? Or, you know, you're a woman. I'm not going to listen to you. right? Or, um, for whatever reason. Okay? When, when you give the gospel to people, why do they ignore you? Because okay? they're ignoring the one who sent you. Most often than not, at least when I've had gospel rejections, uh, it's not that they couldn't believe. It's just that they didn't want to believe there was a God. If there really is a God, then their fun's over, right? If there really is a God, then the Bible is true. If there really is a God, then, you know, all those commandments, thou shalt not fornicate, well, I don't want to live my life that way. I, you know, I'm having fun, okay? I had a coworker told me that, said, you know, I'm, I'm living with a girlfriend right now. and Your Bible wouldn't let me do that. Well, at least you know what you're talking about, you know? Um, that's what it comes down to. You're making a choice to not be persuaded by what you're hearing. And that's the case here. These words appear to them as nonsense, but they would not believe them. All right, so that's Luke 24, verses 11 and 41. Let's go to Acts. Acts 28:24. Acts 28, 24. And it's interesting, um, context here for Acts 28, this is, uh, Paul's on trial and he made his appeal to Caesar, and after uh, several shipwrecks and adventures and other struggles, he finally makes it to Rome, and uh, let's see, and then he gets there and they say, well, we don't know why you're here, (laughs) you know, so I'm on trial, well, we don't know anything about it. Verse 21, uh, they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for concerning this sect, uh, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. We want to hear more about this because uh, we've heard things. And so when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God, and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. All right? Now, in the past, we've taught the uh, the related verb besides pistuo to believe, uh, we the, the the verb patho to persuade. All right, uh, and to or in the passive to be persuaded or to be obedient. They are closely connected. Patho and pistuo are often used in tandem. They're often used in close connection one with another. Because the truth is, nobody believes in nothing. Uh, faith always has to have an object. In order for you to believe, somebody must have told you something. You have to be persuaded of the faithfulness of the one who has made a promise. You don't, it's not just an imagination that thinks up something and says, I'm going to trust that, I'm going to believe in that. Okay? Faith has an object every time. It's a transitive verb. And so the persuasion that takes place when the gospel is proclaimed, or when the word is taught, or when a message is given, becomes uh, becomes significant. We see this here; it's spelled out in this verse. Trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning until evening. So it's not a short message; it's a long message. And some were being persuaded. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. Would not believe. Again, I would ask you in this context, does it make more sense to view a pisteo as an inability or as a choice? As a choice. Okay? Because some were being persuaded, some would not believe. Okay? I think it's clear. That they were not allowing themselves to be persuaded. That they were throwing whatever block up they wanted to throw up there, whatever objection they wanted to throw up there, and just not allow themselves to be persuaded. And not believe. Not, not be persuaded and not place their faith. It's not an inability. It's a choice. Alright. Uh, that's Acts twenty-eight twenty-four, Romans 3-3. Romans three three starts off, what advantage has the Jew? That's how the chapter begins. We saw the uh, Gentile depravity in uh, chapter 1, the Jewish depravity in chapter 2. One of them's uh, immoral, the other one's moral. They're both depravity. What advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great, never respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. <laughs> There's an advantage. The Jewish people had Hebrew scriptures. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? See, here's the rhetorical question. If some did not believe, is God less faithful? Is God less faithful? Okay? You understand that did not believe has to be a choice in order for this rhetorical question to be, even be a question. If it's an inability thing, if it's a could not believe, then then it, it doesn't even throw the faithfulness of God into question. It's The faithfulness of God's then irrelevant if they couldn't believe. It's, but if they did not believe, then the faithfulness of God is a relevant question. All right. If some did not believe, then their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God. Well, it may never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, just as it is written. See, God is still faithful. God is still faithful. If you you reject a promise, it doesn't mean that the promiser is somehow a liar. Okay? It just means that you chose not to accept the promise. The choice you made. 2 Timothy 2.13. 2 Timothy 2. And I think we also have... Uh, let's see. I think we also have the um, one of the noun forms here as well. Yes, apostia that we're going to give you in our point B. Apostia is the noun form that has 11 uses. You have the verb and the noun right here in Romans 3 3. Their unbelief, their apostia. What then, if some apostateod their apostasia will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? So we've got the first term and the second term both right there in Romans three three. See, I thought so. Okay, well we'll get to that here shortly. Let's uh, wrap up the last two of these. First Timothy two thirteen. First Timothy two thirteen. For those who have served well as deacons. Nope. Second Timothy. Second Timothy two thirteen. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. If we disbelieve, if we disbelieve, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we disbelieve. You understand we can disbelieve. Believers can choose to stop walking by faith. Believers can choose to operate like we used to do as unbelievers, to go back to our vomit. But if we disbelieve, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And then the last use is 1 Peter 2.7. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. See, it's either believe or disbelieve. It's either accept or reject. It's not a a passive thing. A failure to believe is a passive thing. No, it is an active thing. You have disbelieved. You have rejected the persuasion. You have dismissed the the opportunity to trust in a promise or to trust in a truth or to trust in a, in, a, in a reality. And you have rejected that as an object of your confidence. That's what disbelieving is. All right, so closely related then to the verb aposteo is the noun apostia, which has 11 additional uses beyond the seven uses that we saw for the verb. Apostia is number 570. It has a Strong's number, just one number later. What James Strong's did when he gave all these numbers out is that he listed every word that's in the Bible, and then he alphabetized them. So um, just alphabetically, aposteo comes right before apostia, And uh, that's why we go from Strong's number 569 to Strong's number 570. All right, apostia, And some of these we've already seen, like the Romans 3.3 reference. Um, most of these, though, we have not yet seen. We've not been to first Timothy one yet or Hebrews three or Yeah, okay, so these will all be new to us. Matthew thirteen fifty eight. It's a noun form of unbelief. Unbelief. Matthew thirteen fifty eight. Here's Jesus in his hometown where he grew up. And the response is uh, less than uh, dazzling. <laughs> okay. And uh, he came to his hometown, began teaching them in the synagogue, and they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is this not the carpenter's son? So the problem is in his hometown, they, they remember when he was just a little guy. They remember they watched him grow up. Okay. And uh, and, they, and it's a it's a test. It's a horrible test. And it's a, uh, objectivity sometimes just flies out the window. And, and believers even even you know believers with doctrine sometimes struggle and have a hard time and have to <laughs> give it to the Lord and pray over it. Okay, you know a couple of Sundays ago when Bob the son was up here and some of you had to sit under his you know sit under the authority of doctrine as he's up here teaching. And then you remember when he was just a little little guy running around. Okay, well pray over it. Give it give it to the Lord say Lord. Uh, give me the objectivity to, to humble myself under teaching. All right. I don't go home very often, which is a good thing, so. <laughs> I hadn't really encountered much of this. And Maybe the older I get than uh, the folks that remember me at that young age. Uh, there's not too many of them around anymore. Although there is a lady at West Houston Bible Church, in uh, Robbie Dean's church, who, uh, sweet, sweet lady, and... Um, she used to serve in the in the church uh, nursery in at uh, sunset hill baptist church when i was uh, an occupant of that church nursery <laughs> back in those days so anyway there's not too many of them around anymore but some all right so here he is is this not the carpenter's son is this is not his mother called mary and his brothers james and joseph and simon and judas and his sisters plural we don't know how many but more than more than one are they not all with us where then did this man get all these things who does he think he is and they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their apostia, because of their unbelief. Unbelief. Okay, That's an active thing. It's not just a passive thing. It's not, see, that's what we're going to uh, try to get away from. They took offense. They took offense. They were reacting in subjectivity to their... Um, Opinion of uh, of uh, of him and uh, the rejection of how he possibly could you know who does he think he is where did he get these things you know he uh, he leaves town he goes off gets these wild ideas in these strange places he travels to okay shouldn't have left town should have stayed here who does he think he is what is this weird thinking he's coming back with okay so that's Matthew thirteen fifty eight Mark six six. parallel text to what we just saw is it's not the carpenter the son of mary i like the fact that in matthew he's called the carpenter's son but in mark he's called the carpenter i expect that he carried on the business the family business after joseph died that he himself he became known as the carpenter the son of mary brother of james and joseph and judas and simon are not his sisters here with us and they took offense at him again he could do no miracle there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them and he wondered at their unbelief he wondered at their unbelief. Now that's what we're going to have to talk about as we work our way through the rest of this Luke 24 passage. It says that they disbelieved because of their joy and their amazement. Their joy and their amazement. And that's the tandem that we're going to have to consider. This is where joy goes bad. You say, how could joy go bad? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. How, you know, can, you ever, this, can you have too much joy? Okay. Well, it's not excessive joy that makes it joy go bad. It's the fact that joy was was twisted into a wonderment, into an amazement, into a spectacle, and that's what we're going to talk about when when joy goes bad, when a lack of faith causes a believer to then um, to then be amazed. Okay, I think we're amazed too often. Prayer gets answered, and you're amazed. Well, you shouldn't be. Were you not expecting the prayer to be answered? Why are you amazed? Why, you know, why does that impress you? <laughs> it shouldn't. Why are you amazed? Quit being amazed by what God calls normal, like His faithfulness. Okay? All right. That's when joy goes bad. That's when amaze goes bad. When you're amazed and you shouldn't be. Mark 9.24. Mark 9.24. Here's this uh, man coming and asking for the Lord to heal his son. And uh, all upset because the disciples couldn't cast out the demon. Uh, Jesus uh, says, what were you discussing with them? And one of the crowd in verse 17 answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And uh, verse 18, he explains, your disciples uh, couldn't do it. They couldn't cast him out. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? How long shall I put up with you? If you've got a sister in Christ that just will not exercise faith, <laughs> that's a test. You've got to put up with that. How long do you put up with that? You say, you know, I've, I've given you scriptures. I've given you encouragement. I've given you promises. I've given I've prayed with you. I've, I've, I've come alongside with spiritual blessings but you won't apply faith. So nothing I give you is going to work until you apply faith. So Jesus says, one believing generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they bring him, and he casts out the demon. And uh, then uh, the, the father here says in verse 22, uh, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. What an insult. It's like going to the Lord in prayer and saying, Father, you know, if you can afford it, um, I, I, I've got this struggle, I've got this bill, I've got this financial thing, if, if, you know, if you could afford it. What an insult. And Jesus responds, he says, if you can, if you can, okay, what an insult. How, you know, how dare you? All things are possible to him who believes. Start applying some faith in your prayer life. Quit being so insulting. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, my favorite verse in the whole Bible right there, Luke 9, 20, uh, Mark 9.24. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, that's pistuo, that's your verb, I do believe, help my apostia, help my unbelief, help my unbelief. And that's where we have to be honest with, with the Lord in our prayer life. Saying, Lord, I don't want to doubt you. I don't want to be unbelieving. Help my unbelief. I want to pray in faith. I do believe. And just re- remind him why you believe. Say, Father, I know you're faithful. Father, I know you promised to never leave me nor forsake me. Father, I know that this, there's an answer. I don't know what the answer is, Father, but I know you do. And pray in faith. Pray in faith. And then say, you know, where I fall short, Father, help me out there. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Okay. Mark six six, Mark nine twenty four, Mark sixteen, fourteen. Again, back to Mark sixteen again, talking about these verses um, that are in question, but still they serve to illustrate the vocabulary well enough. Afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their apostia and hardness of heart. Because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen, we looked at that with the, uh, the verb, did we not? Maybe not, um, but there it is in the noun: their unbelief and hardness of heart, unbelief and hardness of heart. Romans three three we already saw. How about Romans four twenty? We already looked at Romans three three, but Romans four twenty. And here's Abraham. Abraham's the example. He's the example of faith. We're his children by faith. It says in verse 19, without becoming weak in faith. See, faith has degrees, faith has uh, levels, scores, uh, strength levels, okay? You know, uh, except we just don't have a thermometer you can stick in and find out where your, where your faith level is. Uh, we don't have a, a, a dipstick or you know, some kind of a device whereby we can see um, you know, how high, you know, how much oil you have. Are you high? Are you low? How much faith do you have? Is your faith strong? Is your faith weak? Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead. As good as dead. He was sexually dead. God had promised him a baby since he was about 100 years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb. So he was sexually dead, she was sexually dead, she's passed her time, he's passed his time. You know, I know why Sarah laughed. You know, she said, shall I have pleasure from my Lord? You know, who knows how long it's been for the two of them, but um, God promised a baby. Yet with respect to the promises of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. There's a lot to learn in these verses, all right? Not only in terms of unbelief, but weakness of faith and wavering in faith. Wavering in unbelief. But grew strong in the faith, giving glory to God. If you're on the verge of wavering, if you're on the verge of weakness or on the verge of unbelief, this is your opportunity now to reinforce that. Review the faithfulness of God. Just stop right there and say, wait a minute, God's not a liar. God's faithful. God's faithful consider him who promised is faithful. Being fully assured that what God has promised, he was also able to perform. That, fi- that fixes all your faith issues right there. Just stop and say, well, wait a minute. God's the one that promised it. He's going to have to make good on this. Okay? It's a great remedy for weakness or, or uh, lack of faith. Romans 11, verses 20 and 23 Romans 11, 20, and 23. Um, now, this is talking about God's promises to Israel. Uh, he's not done with Israel. He hasn't replaced Israel with the church or anybody else. And uh, don't be arrogant towards the Jews. Yes, they were broken off. They were broken off for their unbelief. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, their apostia. But you stand by your faith. You stand by your faith. That's the warning. In the church, we can fall in unbelief. The warning in Hebrews agrees with this. It says, Take care, brethren, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Okay? That's, that's to believers. You can have an unbelieving heart. The unbelief of the believers is horrible. Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 19. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> okay? But there it is in, in Romans eleven twenty, Also 23. Where it says, they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. You know what the remedy is for unbelief? Belief. That's right. <laughs> Repentance. Stop rejecting God's promises. Start walking by faith. Start trusting in Him. Be persuaded by His faithfulness and trust in Him. Paul talks about receiving mercy because he acted in unbelief. 1 Timothy 1.13 First 1 Timothy 115 or 113 I'm sorry. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Why did Paul become an apostle? He considered me faithful, putting me into service. Remember God opens doors of ministry if you're faithful. God won't open a door for ministry to you if you're not faithful, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. He doesn't hold your past against you. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and the love which are found in Christ Jesus. Okay? He repented after the Damascus Road. Started walking by faith. God put him him to work. Finally, then Hebrews 3 verses 12 and 19. And you notice this is a choice. All of these are choices. Take care, brethren. Hebrews 3 12. Take care, brethren. It's a warning. God doesn't provide warnings if the warnings are not legitimate. God not there's no verse in the Bible that's there for no reason. Do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? If it's in the Bible, God's got a purpose for putting it in the Scriptures. The warnings are warnings. Take care, brethren. Talking to believers. The whole book of Hebrews is written to believers. Chapter by chapter, it's obvious it's written to believers. The only people that doubt it are people that are struggling with the warning passages and they're trying to run away from a problem or run away from a fear. They're afraid that the warning passages are talking about a loss of salvation. And so then they, they, really, they compromise on their hermeneutic and they start coming up with flawed understandings of Hebrews. And it breaks my heart when they do that. No, don't run away from the warning passages. Just understand the warning passages for what they are. Not loss of salvation. Loss of reward. Take care, brethren, lest there be in any one of you an evil Apostia, unbelieving heart, that falls away from the living God. Falls away from the living God. How does an unbeliever fall away from the living God? He's never been walking with the living God. Believers are the only ones that can apostatize. Unbeliever can't apostatize. They're never in the faith to start with. If, If you're not in something, you can't depart from it. Right? I've never been to China. I can't depart from China until I go to China someday. If you've never been somewhere, how do you depart from it? How do you fall from the faith unless you're in the faith? So uh, take care, brethren, in any one of you. And don't say, well, that would never happen to me. <laughs> okay, well, obviously you're not talking about pastors because we're, you know, we're exempt, we're immune, we're, we're uh, automatically protected, and we'll never fall away from faith. No, any one of you. And you who thinks this isn't talking to you, this is talking exactly to you, especially to you. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If you think you're invulnerable, reread that again and understand it says any one of you. Then it says, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is called, still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. These are just absolute statements that include every believer in the church age down to verse 19, we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. The example of the wilderness generation that uh, God was angry with them in the wilderness. They died in the wilderness. None of them entered the the promised land because of unbelief. That's the illustration. And uh, we're warned about following that example because of unbelief. When believers just give up on doctrine, they just say, well, prayer doesn't work. The Bible's not enough enough. You know, Bible class is well and good, but I need more than Bible class. You know, yeah, the church is great and everything, but boy, I, I want a, I want a small group study on top of that, or I want a women's group on top of that, or I want counseling on top of that, or I, you know, I need, I need doctrine plus, okay? Because the Bible is just not quite enough. Wait a minute, what has He not provided? What has He not provided? So we've got the verb aposteo, we've got the noun apostia, We've got another noun, it's a compound noun, closely related, called oligopastia. This is little faith, O ye of little faith. And it only shows up once. It shows up in Matthew 17:20. It's a compound of oligos, meaning little or small. If you're ruled by an oligarchy, you're ruled by a small group of, of uh, power brokers. It's called an oligarchy. Oliga means little or small pastilla, little faith. You know, ye of little faith. Oliga Pastilla. And he rebukes them for that in Matthew seventeen twenty. How small is your faith? And if it is small, ask yourself why? Why is it small? Should it not be larger by now? Should I not be built up in the faith and strengthened in the inner man? Is the word of God not designed to build me up in my faith? Yes, that's exactly what it's designed to do. It's supposed to be built up in the faith and strengthened in the inner man. Strengthened in the inner man. You know, be like a guy that goes to the, the gym and hits the weight room uh, for, you know, seven days a week for, uh, for, for 20 weeks. Don't you think you'd be noticing a difference? <laughs> you know? Uh, how often do you go to the gym? Really? How many days a week? How many weeks? You've been you've been hitting those weights. Well, how hard have you been hitting them? <laughs> I can't tell. What have you been doing in that weight room? Right? You hadn't been on the treadmill, or what have you been doing? You know. And then, and there's there's believers. I wonder. You know, how long have you been under teaching? What have you been doing all that time? You know? You just, just kinda, you just kind of you show up and you wear the outfit and look cool. What are you doing? Are you working while you're in that room? Are you exercising the faith that's being provided for you? Because the Word of God is designed to transform you. Oh, ye of a little faith. And this is the rebuke. Again, I haven't flipped my pages from out of Hebrews yet, but uh, you know, he says, by now you should be teachers. And yet you you haven't grown. You haven't grown. What's the problem? You know, by now... It's been long enough. All right. So we have the compound oligopistia. And then the fourth and final one uh, is the adjective apistos. Apistos. Twenty-three uses of apistos. Pistos means faithful. Apistos means unfaithful or faithless. Pistos and apistos are your antonyms. And realize, (laughs) Um, and you don't have to be a Greek scholar, you you just understand the the concept. You know, you understand the concept uh, of of somebody who's faithful or somebody who's faithless. Understand, you know, if a a husband's faithful in his marriage or if a husband's faithless in his marriage, um, is that because he couldn't help it? Is that because he was not able to believe? He was not able to be faithful? Or he made choices that were faithless choices? Okay, that's what it comes down to. Are you going to make choices to be faithful or choices to be faithless? It's, it's a consequence of the choices you're making. So the adjective apistos, number 571, has 23 New Testament uses. And we have 11 minutes remaining, so we can probably work our way through these as well. Starting in Matthew 17. Matthew 17, Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation. You unbelieving and perverted generation. What a combination. Unbelieving and perverted. <laughs> We're not allowed to use perverted anymore. That's, that's <laughs> Nobody's a pervert, right? There's no such thing as perversion to the postmodern generation. Uh, decrepit culture we live in these days okay how dare you say something's a perversion it's it's just an alternate lifestyle it's just as valid it's just that's the way they were born that's how they are there's nothing wrong with it it's a beautiful thing wait a minute okay you see what happened our culture is calling good evil and evil good and if you call something a perversion well how dare you that's that's hate speech you're how dare you how dare you be so condemning okay well, the scripture does. The scripture calls it a perversion. Unbelieving and perverted. See, when you don't, when you don't believe in what God has promised, what do you end up doing? You end up perverting what God has promised. Coming up with an alternate promise, coming up with your own standard instead of his standard. So you're a pervert. Somebody who perverts what God designs. So there it is, Matthew 17 17. Again, it's choices that are being made. Mark 9.19, parallel text to that. We were there just a few minutes ago in Mark chapter 9. Mark 9.19. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Saw that already. Luke 9.41. You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Luke twelve forty six. The master of that slave will come on a day. Here's the thing. <clears throat> the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him. In an hour, he does not know. And will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The apostoi. It's a term for unbelievers. These are the uh, foolish uh, slaves that figured, well, he'll be a long time coming. In The parable of the uh, the slave owner there. John twenty twenty seven. Acts twenty six eight. First Corinthians six six. Let's see, eight minutes. I might make it. John twenty twenty seven. He said to Thomas, reach here with your fingers, see my hands, reach here your hand, and <clears throat> put it into my side, and do not be a pistos, but pistos. Believing. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Now remember, Thomas is saved. He's not an unbeliever. If he died right there, he wouldn't go to hell. He's a believer. He's saved. And Jesus is telling the saved disciple, do not stop being unbelieving, but believe. Walk by faith. Apply the promises. Trust in God trust what it is that jesus is saying that's john twenty twenty seven, acts 26 8 one of paul's defenses he's standing before agrippa he says i'm standing trial for the hope of the promise made by god to our fathers The promise to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O king, I am being accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? Why is it considered incredible? Why is it considered hard to believe, impossible to believe? If God raises the dead? I mean, who do you think God is? (laughs) Okay, he's God. He's God. Of course he can raise the dead. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? There's a rhetorical question for you. God promised it. Why are you not accepting what he promised? 1 Corinthians 6, six. Brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers, that before apostoi. That's why you're a loser if you're going to court to try to solve your issues that should be solved within a local church. We take care of us. We take care of us. We don't go to an earthly court to handle our issues. There's no jurisdiction here anyway. That before unbelievers. Uh, chapter 7 in the marriage and divorce development. Chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, verse 12, verse 13, twice in verse 14, once in verse 15. So you've got a pistos that's used five times in those four verses it's in a very concentrated fashion there, 1 Corinthians. And this is where I think that wrong applications get made. If the unbeliever departs, let him depart. It doesn't say the unsaved. It says the unbelieving. Some people think that, well, they're... They're permanently enslaved because uh, their uh, renegade husband happens to be born again. Well, if your renegade born-again husband is not walking by faith, then he is apistos at the moment. If, he's, if he has abandoned you in your marriage, he is the apistos this passage is talking about. It doesn't say unsaved, it says unbelieving. Could that be a saved person that's Unbelieving? Yes, it could be a saved person that's unbelieving. As the Lord told Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believe. As Hebrews warned, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. A regenerate, saved, born-again member of the royal family of God can be an unbeliever in terms of not losing salvation, but stopping walking by faith. Okay, And that's the impact of this chapter here in all these verses in Chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 10, verse 27. Chapter 14, another concentration of uses. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 22, 23, and 24. Talking about unbelievers that may come into the assembly. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 22, 23, and 24. Problem with tongues and prophecy and other things that uh, can tear a church apart if believers are quit walking by faith. And if unbelievers come into the, uh, the assembly, that includes both unsaved unregenerate, but also includes believers that aren't walking by faith. The turmoil that can be caused there. 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving. He blinds the minds of the unbelieving. You think that's limited to the unsaved? How about a believer who's unbelieving? How about a saved individual that stops walking by sight or stops walking by faith? Can the devil blind his eyes too? Absolutely. Yeah. Believers can have the wool pulled over their eyes too. In 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 2 Corinthians 6 verses 14 and 15. More apistos here. <clears throat> Do not be bound together with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Verse 15, what harmony has Christ with Bela? What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? A believer walking by faith and a believer walking by sight. What do they have in common? Mm-hmm. They're not going to find fellowship. They're not going to find an accord. They're not going to find harmony and like-mindedness. In fact, <clears throat> the carnal believer will, will find a resonance with the unbeliever. How's that for Sad. Okay, A carnal believer finds that his thinking uh, coincides and meshes very well with the unbeliever. If that happens, you've got a problem. you got a problem. If you, if you have the same attitude, the same approach, the same thinking, there shouldn't be any harmony there. Why, why is there harmony there? 1 Timothy 5.8 If any man does not provide for his own, especially for his own household, he is denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. He's worse than an unbeliever. Titus 1.15 and Revelation 21.8. All these uses of Okay, So what have we learned today? We've learned a couple of things. We've learned that believing and not believing are choices we make. They're the choices we make based upon what we are persuaded by and what we don't allow ourselves to be persuaded by when we choose to um, dismiss the persuasion. It's a choice we're making. We're choosing to, to reject a persuasion. We're choosing to count the persuasion as worthless. We're choosing to not be persuaded. And we're choosing to not believe. They're choices that we're making. We've learned that first and foremost, that believing and unbelieving are choices we make. There, is, there are none of those passages we've seen that have an ability or an inability in view. There is nobody that can't believe who wants to. Okay? It's interesting. We've also noticed the second thing is that born-again believers can stop believing. We can stop walking by faith. Born-again members of the royal family of God can be called apistos. And stop walking by faith. And that's trouble. Now, they don't lose their eternal life. They don't throw away their inheritance. They don't go to hell when they die. They stop believing. Yes, they stop believing, but they don't lose their salvation. Okay? Are we clear on that? Okay. We've got to be clear on that. I think the, the, the problem is is what happens with the Calvinists, they're, they're so powerful, they want to they defend their eternal security, so they don't want to ever admit that a believer can stop believing. They don't want to ever admit that a, a believer can apostatize totally or finally. And sadly, when they, when they insist on that, it's their doctrine that won't allow them to accept the plain language of these verses. These verses say that believers can fall into apostasy. There is such a thing as the sin and the death, as far as that goes. Okay, well, when we come back, we're going to see (coughs) Thomas Didymus, who required an additional eight days before he would choose to believe. And uh, we'll discuss the nature of it there. We'll kind of build upon here. We're going to build upon what it is that makes joy go bad. Why it is they did not believe because of their joy and their amazement. Joy is not a problem unless it's paired up with amazement in a way that it shouldn't be. And it's paired up with amazement because of the lack of faith. And that's when joy goes bad. We'll talk about that as well. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for allowing this entire hour to proceed. Thank you for all that you permit. We continue to lift up the traveling mercies for the pastors that are on the road or in the air. Father, uh, looking forward to tomorrow. Looking forward to the beginning of, uh, of our weekend conference. Be faithful, Father. We thank you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.